What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The podcast critics have spoken. Has this guy ever actually interviewed anyone before? And? Wow, that was long. And I don't have time to listen. Very busy. Sounds like this podcast isn't winning any awards anytime soon. Uh, he did win an award in 2011. Stop living in the past. What else with Corey Mann? Wherever podcasts are sold. Isn't it free? Part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Sifpop Podcast is recorded in front of a live internet audience. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast wondering if it should take up a life in thievery, if only for the amazing food, it's Sifpa. Always eating, those thieves are. Mm, nom, 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 nom. Welcome to Sif Pop, streaming live on Spreaker every Saturday afternoon or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Rah! I'm Aaron Dicer from YourMovieFriend.com. He's Andrew Ormsby from Flick Freaks. Ahoy! Each week we'll chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. We are joined by a guest guru this week from the ever-expanding universe of CinemaSins. <laughs> it is Chris! Sinverse! Yo! Welcome, So happy Chris. to be here, guys. I love talking movies. The crowd. That's right. That's right. I'm t- taking a bow. <laughs> Inside the Sincast studio, yeah, that's right. taking a bow and a curtsy, just because wow. I don't want to leave everybody, you know, I, don't, I want to have everybody covered there. So. Yeah. Doing a full bowertsy. That's amazing. A bowertsy. A curtsow. Yeah. A curtsow. Either way works. Kurtzow. Yeah, a curtsow. There There's, you go. Either portmanteau <laughs> works just fine. Uh, we are glad to have you hanging out with us. Uh, we're going to talk some Ocean's 8 today and excited to chat that with you guys. Um the Ocean's film are a huge part of my film-loving history, uh, you know, and the you know having a new one out is going to be fun to talk about. We'll also talk about best-ever heist movies. Um, we'll talk about uh, our buried treasure, of course. We've got a Sift Quest today on how we would fix the prequels, which could be interesting. Yeah. I'm excited to get there as well. And, uh, of course, we'll do some Do We Care. Before we get into that, though... Um, you guys have both seen heredit, uh, heredit, is it hereditary or yes. heredity? Hereditary. Hereditary. You've both seen it. I have not. I don't want to get into it. One, because it seems to be a very spoiler heavy kind of movie. Um, and number two, uh, you know, I, it's, it's not something I myself want to know a lot about, but I do want to know, and we did talk about it in the pre-show a little bit deeper, but just a yes or no. Would you encourage people to go see this, or what kind of people would you encourage to go see this? Chris, we'll start with you. In when we do the Sincast uh, and we do recommends and warns, we have a thing called Rec a Warn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what this movie is going to great. be. Uh, yeah, this um, this is a Rec a Warn. Uh, rec- th- this is a Rec a Warn because I think <laughs> a lot of uh, cinephiles will find this very interesting. Um, I think horror genre enthusiasts are also going to be pleased for a while. Um, the, the merging of both of those audiences though, uh, 
you're gonna that's a really thin part of the Venn diagram. I think. Okay. So yeah, yeah Rekka Warner's perfect. Andrew, what would you say? I would recommend it solely for the fact that I think Tony Collette gives an Oscar worthy performance in oh, this okay. movie. She's like, amazing. It's so like hauntingly good. Okay, so a great performance, but at the same time, the movie itself yeah. overall may not be everything you wanted it to be. You know, also it's not that everything I wanted is just not what I expected. Like, not even close. Okay. <laughs> there are there are other moments in this movie where it's like, oh, this is this is really this is really terrible, really scary, or whatever. And then somebody will make, and it's not Tony Collette. It's usually some other actor will do something, and you're like, oh man, that ooh, that doesn't that doesn't fit too well with what's going on Mm -hmm. right now. Like there's one person who bursts out crying and it just feels like, you know, like a six year old is in the room and, uh, and there's a point, I think people started laughing at that point, at that Mm, part, like unintentional humor problems. Yeah. 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 And it, and it came out of nowhere too, because for the most part, the movie sets tone pretty well. Um, but there are a couple of moments where the just the way people are talking and reacting and everything just doesn't quite gel. Hmm. Um, uh, so there are moments in here where you you might actually end up laughing because it's it's just a little bit incongruous. Okay. Yeah. Whenever I went to a acting school, we called it pushing. Whenever you were mm-hmm. really trying to force the emotion you were trying to project, mm. and it just came across like. Okay, you need to dial it back. We get that you're like for this example, you're we get you're upset. You don't need to push that emotion that you're trying to, you know, deliver so hard. Yeah. And uh Don't it, try to make me believe it. Try to make yourself believe it. Yeah. Because it once it you doesn't come it, across yeah. as believable or real the specific part that he's talking about. Okay. I totally get yeah. Well, okay. Well there you go. Sounds like uh you can kind of take that and decide if it's something you want to check out. But uh <laughs> Recco Warren, I, I love that so much. I'm still not sure what I'm going to do about it, but uh, I don't know. Being somebody who people actually, I had somebody tweet me just yesterday that they needed me to see it because they have questions for me. And I was like, "Well, <laughs> I can try." Well, I think that you know you can actually recommend this movie solely for the fact on how divisive it's going to be. I think that no, that, that's true. It, that's fair. That itself can actually drive interest for a movie. If you're if you're a a like a connoisseur, like if you're a film, if you want to be inside film conversation, sometimes there are conversational movies that that you know deserve a watch, you know, just to kind of be in that conversation. So it's probably one of those. Yeah. Well, you ready to do some? Do we care? Yeah. Let's do it. Um, I'm going to start off, uh, well, I guess I should say, every single week I scour <laughs> the internet to find out what is going on in the entertainment world. I pick three topics for us to discuss. We must decide whether or not we care about them or not. I am going to start off this week by just giving uh, a uh, a shout or a shout to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline yeah. in uh, wake of Anthony Bourdain. The number is 1-800-273-8255. Um, and there was a fashion designer too who was it. I didn't know if hers was suicide. Was that's it? how I'm being, hearing it being referred to? Is that they both okay. took their own lives? So yeah, I I, I, I think it was Katie. So I don't want to get into if I'm yeah. totally no, wrong on her name. It was Kate something. Yeah, yeah. But um, the way that I heard somebody talk about it um, was how if people are you know if their heart is you know not the greatest they might have a heart attack mm-hmm. and it's the same way it's not really 
something that a lot of people can, you know, control, you know, the emotions or the feelings that they're having. But it's never the answer. There's always help you can get. Obviously, you know, I dealt with it not too Mm -hmm. long ago. And uh, it's just, it's heartbreaking, not only for him and his family, but, you know, just in general, it's just sad to see this happen to somebody. Well, I know, um, Andrew, I've I've really been inspired and impressed by your reaction to what you went through. Uh, And I think part of the beauty of you being open about that is that that how that helps people not feel alone in what they're going through and understand that it's not just them. Yeah. Uh, Chris, I know you guys over at CinemaSins are very much, uh, you know, I see tweets out of the official Twitter all the time uh, about, you know, um, getting help and knowing that you're not alone. And I know it's an important topic to you guys too. And I just, I really appreciate the whole, um, the how the community comes together to say, hey, you know, we're all here. If you ever need something, you know, please seek out other answers. Yeah. This may not be a, an answer you guys have or whatever, but I'll just throw it out there. Um, I do appreciate the fact that, you know, there are so many uh, out there who are who are giving out this this number and everything. And uh, I'm sure that has helped a lot of people. Um, so no, I don't want to downplay that at all, but, uh, the, I wonder how many people get this number and know of this number, but just refuse to call it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's one of those things that how do you, how do you know, uh, which people out there may need this number and, and need to call the number, but just can't get them to do it. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, I, that's the, that's the tough part for me. Um, when I think about stuff like this, because, you know, somebody like Anthony Bourdain probably has tons of people to talk to, um, when, you know, the, when they're, he's feeling down or, you know, he wants to end it all or whatever. And, and still somehow that network of people weren't able to reach him. Yeah. Yeah. What I would say is having called them because, for those of you who don't know what I went through, I'll just go ahead and just give a quick summary of what it was. Um, I didn't want to commit suicide. I just had constant thoughts of it happening to me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, something is going wrong mentally with me. I need to get this checked out, see what's going on. I ended up calling them. And for those of you out there who are, like Chris said, on the fence, unsure about you know whether it be embarrassing of having to call the suicide hotline or not, um, I'll just go ahead and say for me personally, because I felt the same way, like, do I really need to call? Is is my condition as bad as somebody else's? I'd say go ahead and call because the people on the other end are so unjudgmental and overall caring about you. It's not like you call them, you hang up, and then they're done with you. They actually called me back several times just Mm. to check on me and to see how I was doing and stuff. So... There is no judgment on their end. All they care about is you getting better and you seeking help. So, yeah, if you're on the fence about calling, I I would say go ahead and do it if you are, you know, feeling like the possibility is there. You know, it's it we are so stubborn as human beings. I mean, I think of even in when you think of uh, like a more physical thing, like, uh, you know, being sick with a cold or something for several days and not wanting to call the doctor, you know, it's just like, I get that yeah. way where it's like, I got this, I don't need help, you know, that kind of thing. But 
we all do and we're all weak and you we're all just you know humans that can fall apart in a variety of different ways so uh yeah there's no shame in that in getting help so i think that's a, a good thing to kick us off with andrew i appreciate that no problem yeah i, I really did want to say that but uh, i do actually have three uh do we care topics for us all right to what's going on in the news so jared leto's joker will be given his own movie this has nothing to do with the joker origin film which involves todd phillips joaquin phoenix and martin scorsese do we care <laughs> Oh man, guys, this, <laughs> this is this is deeper than do we care, yeah, right? Yeah, it is. Um, answer is no. Uh, short short answer is no. Uh, the next answer is why. That's the next answer because you can't have two competing Joker movies within even three years of each other. I don't think. Yeah. Um, and to come up with an origin story and then to come up with, oh, by the way, we still want to give Jared Leto some some love and for his just tremendous portrayal of the Joker and Suicide Squad. <laughs> I mean, it was unflinchingly the best Joker I'd ever seen. It was. Like, take Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson and just combine the quality, and that's what you get I heard, from Jared Leto's Joker. I heard that Mark Hamill, that was the reason why he said he was never going to do the Joker again. He's like, because Jared Leto <laughs> nailed it. I can't even come close to what he gave us guys my 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 sarcasm meter may be off a little bit but are you guys being sarcastic (laughs) your sarcasm meter is on point okay good Good. all right good uh yeah i don't i I don't care but like like chris said it it, it even beyond not caring it it does bear saying just dc what are you doing that's like that's what it boils down to for me is who is in charge of dc seeing these decisions being made and just going, yep, that totally makes sense. And you know me, I'm, I'm the, you know, the optimist. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be the one who's going to say, well, until it's on a screen, then I'll decide if it's actually a good movie. But there's just something about the way they're going about deciding what movies to make that just, it just isn't, I, I just think they have Marvel envy so bad and I don't think they know how to, how to get it. Well, can't you say, like you say that you're the, the uh the optimist as you call it mm-hmm. but don't you have something inside you that's the hope for the best expect the worst can't don't you expect this to be horrible but you want it to be good i see i, I choose to think of it in, in that i think this decision is a poor decision to make this movie but i don't know how i can have any expectation of this movie other than based on seeing you know his performance in suicide squad i guess that's a fair thing to go do i want to see more of that but there are so many other things that make a movie great. If they find a great story that works really well and is really interesting, uh, if they if it's clever and they find great writers and they, you know, you know what I'm saying. Any movie has a chance to be great. I continue to believe that. But yes, I think it's a poor decision to choose to make this one. That's how I choose DC to see. DC has not shown that they've been able to get good writers <laughs> no, and a I good know. story for anything. <laughs> I know. So. The only way that this is going to work is if they've overhauled and and they have changed some people at the top at uh, you know who who are making the decisions on these movies. But until they get that actual formula that you just talked about, and I will remain skeptical until. Yeah, no, and that's fair. Totally. Number two. Yep. Je- this is going to be an interesting topic for us to discuss. Hopefully, James Cameron has said that he believes post conversion. 
has all but killed 3D films and that he believes it is still an exciting way to tell stories in film. Um, no, I definitely care about this. Uh, I am a 3D proponent. I think the reason, I don't know that post-conversion, it may be part of the reason 3D hasn't taken off. I think it's primarily a cost thing, that the co- the cost, the extra cost does not result in an extra experience. And the experience isn't as good because of the presentation. Uh, theaters do not know how to present 3D films. It's always too dark. It's yeah, and they're there when you're when you got to put a pair of glasses on that darken the you know a screen, and they're already lowering their wattage because they're trying to save you know money on uh, you know electricity or whatever. There's some some scenes you just can't see, but if you see a very well projected 3D film with a creator who is using 3D like a creator would use sound or color or any other part of a movie to help tell the story. Um, I, I definitely think it's a valid, uh, a valid way to be creative and to make art. Uh, I just, I think Cameron may be right that it is unfortunately going to be killed because it's not being used that way. What do you think, Chris? Uh, I, I, I don't care one bit about 3d. Uh, <laughs> now you, you guys get to see this laser projection stuff yeah. and, and I don't. Um, I, I can just speak from experience as a movie theater projectionist. I was one who was always crying about, let's get more wattage in the projector projectors and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, especially because 3d polarizers, I believe take out about 50% of your light. Yeah. Um, that much. And so like, and then you have, of course the people, they leave it in front of the projector when there's a 2d movie running. So that's even worse. (laughs) Oh, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, um, uh, having seen avatar when it came out in both 2d and 3d formats, um, I was like, Oh, that's cool. And, and I I didn't like the movie. Um, and it didn't make the movie better when I saw it in 3d. So, uh, ultimately, um, I don't really care about this technology. I don't think that until, until we get like some better, and I don't think this is ever going to happen because of the cost. And until we get some better headsets that really immerse us in these worlds, I I really don't care about 3d. I I think that's fair. I think that's completely fair. And I think that is more representative of the normal moviegoer than my view is. Um, I am just such a proponent of technology if it's used well and, I love creators to have more tools in their toolbox, and I think 3D can be a tool to tell a story in the same way color or sound or those kind of things that were added to film you know, along the line could be, um, but it's just it's not something that's, that's happening really. Yeah. Did, Chris, did I ever tell you my uh, 3D story um, where they had the – I'm guessing they had the polarizer or whatever or part of it uh, upside down. Have I ever told you this story? Oh, no. So we, we go in, and this this is also a story about how unobservant most moviegoers is, and that's not a slam. They're just not looking at things the same way most, of, you know, like I would be yeah. uh, with detail. But the previews are going on, and the 3D in the previews looks reversed. Everything that's supposed to be in the far background is right in front of me, and everything that's supposed to be in front of me is, like, inset in. So that's crazy. So yeah, so I'm watching this and everything is messed up and nobody else is appears to be saying anything or whatever and so I'm looking at it and I know it's wrong. Another 3D preview comes on. I'm like this is this is wrong. So I go out and I get a manager and he's like, "Well, I don't I don't know it looks good to me. I don't I don't see what the problem." I'm like, "Are is everybody blind?" Like, you know, 
and, yeah. and so I, uh, all, what I did was I flipped my 3D glasses over and wore them upside down, and everything was perfect. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, and, and honestly, knowing what I know, and, and things have probably changed, uh, I guess, a bit since the last time I worked in movie theaters, but I don't even know how you do that. Yeah, I, I don't, don't even know. I don't even know how that's possible unless, I mean, I'm thinking of some things, but I, I can't even imagine you getting getting the projector to project that way. So um, it was the I don't know how thing. you even do it. It was the weirdest thing. I've, it was a one-time experience. Um, but yeah, I just I remember wearing my 3D glasses upside down the whole time, and it worked just fine. And yeah. you were the only one who saw it the well, proper way. Eventually, people started turning their glasses upside. Down. It was like it kind of like spread like you know some sort of communicable virus. You know where somebody mm-hmm. in my row would would flip and they go, oh, okay. You know, it's like I mean, I guess <laughs> I guess it's possible that they were running it through a projector with two lenses and it had rotated around. Yeah, and and the left eye was in the wrong place and the right eye was in the wrong. That's place. what it That's had the to only be. Thing. Yeah. So interesting stuff. What else? Uh, number three, in response to sexual misconduct allegations against him, John Lasseter will be leaving Disney at the end of this year. Yeah, I saw that. Originally, they were talking about him coming back. There was plenty more negative backlash to that idea, uh, mm-hmm. and I think they just knew that this is the way it had to go. I'm sure Lasseter knew it, too. Boy, it's interesting looking at these Me, Me Too things and the accusations and... I. I it's so hard for me because what I want to say is just like it, none of it is my experience, right? I don't have Lassiter's view, like experience on it. I don't have the the victim's experience on it. I am. It is all third hand to me, and that makes it so tough for me to have any kind of opinion on is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Just because I was not there in any way, shape, or form. And I think in a, a you know society, and we've talked about this even recently. I agree with erring on the side of the victim. I agree with, uh, you know, if the, and I'm, I'm not saying this is an error. I just, all that, that I just said was to say, I don't know if this is an error or not. But, um, but yeah, the Lassiter stuff from what the accusations that, that I've seen are about inappropriate uh, contact. They're about being in people's space. They're about intimidation. They're about making women, especially, uh, you know, feel, uncomfortable and all that stuff is is valid and legitimate and worth paying attention to um but it's different than called me up to a hotel room and blah 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 that we've heard with weinstein you know it's i think it's important to remember that we're talking about different instances and not just lumping everything into the same boat i do think that is valuable just as human beings to continue to have these areas of nuance and distinction but again all of that is from a place of i don't know i would you know i wasn't there so um it makes me sad. I, Lassiter is a genius, in my opinion. Um, yeah. So it, it does make me very sad. Am I the only one who has any thoughts on this or, or wants to express them? Well, you went ahead and uh, covered everything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's uh, that's sort of a changing of the guard, and you know, I mean, if if you're a if you're a brand like Disney Pixar, then you're probably you probably want to just go ahead and move on from this. And I think that the the uh, the philosophy of Pixar and everything has sort of permeated to all the so-called underlings anyway. Yeah. So just having, you know, they don't need him necessarily anymore to make quality movies. One thing they will have to start doing is, is, is stop relying so much on the marketing branding of every property that they have and coming out with, I'm excited about Incredibles too, but, 
Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping that they get uh, more original stuff than normal. Um, yeah. Cause it seems like they really do uh, seem to, uh, they seem to be reliant on sequels these days, even though occasionally you'll get a Coco or something. Yeah. And it's really interesting because uh, what we've got toy story four slated. Yep. That's it, right? No other Pixar property has been announced beyond. Is that true? 2020, right? Like, isn't Toy Story 4 20? 2020? What's next year? There's got to be something next year. It's just, it's, it's really interesting because I feel like this whole thing has kind of held them up in their creative planning because part of his job was overall, you know, Disney. Di- well, it was overall Disney and Pixar, but it was, it was kind of planning the slate. And so I think they are behind the eight ball in a way that they've never been as far as knowing what movies are coming up. Um, it's interesting, though, because I love Pete Doctor, and I think they tap Pete Doctor to head uh, Pixar creative. So um, I think that's a smart move. Do you think that yeah, Dis- Disney overall they is- have a – I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. No, they have. There's a. There's also a woman they have uh, uh, promoted too. It's it's Pete Doctor and and I can't remember her name. Um, I think it's Jennifer. I think it was like Jennifer Lee or something like that. But I yeah yeah that's right that's right. And she's but she's over Disney Animation, so they kind of split it back again, and like they have him. Which is probably a good idea. I think so. Yeah, I think that's true. I'm curious as to whether or not Disney is leaning away from you know. Pixar <clears throat> to make way for all their Marvel and Star Wars properties that they're shoving down our throat right now. <laughs> you think they're favoring Marvel and Star Wars over Pixar? I think so because I think that uh, brings in more money for them. I don't know. I I don't think so. I think I think that's just as legitimate a cash cow as Marvel is, and they'll take everything that makes two to three hundred million dollars. You know. Yeah, any I mean, day of the week. It wasn't. So, so, it wasn't so long ago. The Finding Dory made like you know five hundred million or whatever it ended up making. Yeah. So, yeah. And but, I still think Incredibles two is going to blow away expectations. Yeah, but, but Infinity War made billions. <laughs> no, you're billion. No, that's that's fair. That's, that's true. And Black Panther. Yeah. Both in the top five well, ever. This is just how I looked at it. I looked at you know the top highest grossing box office of all time. And it's all Marvel and Star Wars, pretty much. Besides, you know, like Titanic and Avatar, but yeah. you have all those superhero and Star Wars properties. So, I guess what I'm saying is, is they don't have to halt production on a Pixar movie to make those movies. I guess that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, that's true. And um, and 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 I was correct. It is Jennifer Lee. She was the director of Frozen, and she is taking over the Disney animation side. So it'll be mm-hmm. Pete Doctor and Jennifer Lee. I think those are great choices. I, you know, I have no problem with that. It's just, it's, it's all sad. It all makes me very sad. Yeah, that's going to wrap it up for Do We Care. All right, let's get into some Ocean's Eight. So you want to hit a jewelry store? Not exactly. A diamond mine. Yes, that's exactly right. Or what? The Met. Three and a half weeks, the Met will be hosting its annual ball, and we are going to rob it. Five years, eight months, 12 days, and counting. That's how long Debbie Ocean has been devising the biggest heist of her life. 
She knows what it's going to take. A team of the best people in the field, starting with her partner in crime, Lou Miller. Together, they recruit a crew of specialists, including jeweler Amita, street con Constance, suburban mom Tammy, hacker Nineball, and fashion designer Rose. Their target? A necklace that's worth more than $150 million. So Oceans is back. Of course, Oceans 11, Steven Soderbergh started it off. Did Oceans 11 and 12 and 13, and now we're back with the gender swap and doing Oceans 8. Sandra Bullock and um, Kate Blanchett and Helena Bonham Carter and Rihanna and Anne Hathaway and so many others. Uh, what did you guys think? Did you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or it was just okay? Andrew? I'm going to go somewhere between did not like it and maybe leaning a little bit towards it's okay. Okay. Leaning towards it's okay, but probably in the didn't liked it. What yeah. about you, Chris? I liked it. It's, uh, it, it's, it, it really doesn't separate itself too much from the other oceans movies, which is of course by design. So if you've ever seen an oceans movie, you know how this goes. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but I mean, I, I can always get on board for these, uh, these twisty heists that, you know, require a million things to go right, um, for them to work and everything. I mean, that's sort of a flaw too, but, um, at the same time, it's, it's fun to watch play out and, uh, yeah, it's kind of a shrug like it. Yeah, I'm exactly with you. I, I'm liked it. Um, probably just right dead center of liked it. I didn't really like it. I didn't just kind of like it. I liked it. Um, and I think we can kind of go into the details on that. Uh, Andrew, since you didn't like it mm-hmm. as much as Chris and I seem to have, what did you like about it? What were some of the things you did enjoy? So who directed this? Glenn Gary Glenn Ross? Is that who directed this? <laughs> yeah. Gary Ross, yes. Yeah. Um, so... He actually fully he made this feel like an oceans movie. I know he Soderberg Soderberg did the other ones, but you could have told me that Soderberg had directed this and it would have felt exactly the same way. Maybe that has something to do with the actually surprisingly really good singular performances of Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Anne Hathaway. You know, I think. Oh, I thought the performances were great. Uh, that kind of goes into a con for me. I don't think they worked well as a team, but I'll get into more of that later oh, on. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, but uh, it's a funny movie. It actually is a funny movie. I was surprised by how funny it was. So you found it entertaining. Yeah. And you found the performances good. Yeah. What did you think about the performances, Chris? Man, um, I, 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 so first off, I think Sandra Bullock is and Kate Blanchett are are both solid in this. But for me, the movie is stolen by Anne Hathaway all the way through. She's it. so good. She's so good. And like it, I don't know what it is about this particular movie, but she just seems relaxed and in the zone. And, um, and just when you, you see her reactions, like she's playing, I, I guess, a version of herself in this movie um, or somebody that, is kind of like her or whatever, right, but yeah. these it's an insecure actress who you know who is instantly placated by the the tiniest compliment and uh, and stuff <laughs> like that, and just the way she reacts and she'll go from depression to just like you know being really really happy and in, in the turn of a screw or whatever. It's just I I think she's so good in this. 
I think she's great. I think the performances are solid all around. I thought Sarah Paulson was really good too. Um, oh, I enjoyed yeah. that performance. Uh, I Aquafina, I think yeah. is is her name. Who um, she's she, funny. She is really funny, and I thought really good. I kind of fell in love with her in this movie. I, you know, yeah. I want to I see her do more stuff. Um, so I, yeah, I thought the performances were good all around. Uh, at least as far as this kind of heist crew goes. I mean, James Corden wasn't that bad as the insurance adjuster. <laughs> he was actually pretty fun. Actually, he, he was very. I thought he was very funny. It was interesting seeing him in that role. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, he's not, I mean, it's, it's about them and that crew of, you know, eight women. And I think they do a, a fabulous job. Uh, I also think like you, Andrew, this is a really fun movie. I, I do think this is, there's a lot of, there's a crowd pleasing aspect to this movie that comes along with the good performances, the fun dialogue, the, you know, will they pull off the heist, you know, just kind of, there's something embedded in a heist movie that I find find really enjoyable and really fun. Yeah. For me, it all came down to the performances making it fun, not the actual heist itself. Okay. I didn't find that entertaining, really. Tell, but- me, if, tell me if you guys identify with this. I feel like for me... This is what I call a, a mini golf movie. Um, and what I mean by that is when you go miniature golfing, you know what you're going to get. You, there's, n- there's no surprises. You know, you go, you try to hit a ball into a hole. It's fun. You have a good time with friends. You know, the clown at the end isn't going to return your ball because they want the ball back. Like, you know, you, you know all the parts of exactly what's going to happen, how the evening's going to go. But it's a fun little evening and there's a built in nostalgia to it. And, you know, you kind of enjoy it when you decide to go mini golfing, you have a good time, you know. But it's not something you would sit around and go, oh, man, mini golfing. What an experience. <laughs> so so that's that's this kind of movie to me is like, yeah, I had a good time. I had a really good time. It's not it's not something to write home about. But, you know, it was really fun. Maybe, so, maybe yeah, I think, unfortunately, it has to run up against when you're when you're thinking about oceans and you're thinking about how in Ocean's Eleven they rob three casinos at once. And all mm-hmm. the different things that they do to get that, it sort of pales in comparison. So if you're comparing heists in this in this movie, you're like, eh, you know, what they pulled off here is 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 kind of child's play almost, even though it's still very complex and hard. Oh, um, I, I definitely agree with that, and maybe that can kind of transition transition us into some things that that kind of were a little off for this movie, um, mm-hmm. because I I feel like what's interesting about what you say is. I feel like this movie wanted to be Ocean's Eleven specifically. It feels mm-hmm. almost there are scenes that feel almost paint paint by number in this movie. It is very obvious that Sandra Bullock is George Clooney. It is very obvious that Kate Blanchett is Brad Pitt's character. You know, like in mm-hmm. and, and there are moments and conversations and I mean they both start off, you know, with the exact same idea, you know, being parole, pulling off a big job. I get that, but there's the a revenge. The, yeah, 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 the revenge part yeah. of it. But there's a there's a slight distinction, a very fine line between impersonation and homage. And if you want to pay homage to something, that's great. But if you're just impersonating it, it becomes a little a little more forced or distracting. And it, I felt like it kind of bordered on impersonation in some of the things that it did, uh, as opposed to just kind of playing off those themes. So if, if yeah. It felt a little too close for me. Did you, you guys felt that too? Yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Here's how I went into this movie is because I guess I didn't go into it expecting the same movie you did, 
whenever I go in to see any heist movie, whether it be Oceans or any of the other ones that yeah. we might mention later on, I'm always looking for the heist element to be the big takeaway for me. I want the heist to be exciting, and I want it to be a mystery. If you look at the first Oceans movie during the whole planning stage, they give you hints as to what could potentially play out. Mm -hmm. They don't give you the heist in the planning stage. They tried to do that here, but it wasn't as successful. If I felt like I understood the whole heist very early on. No, yeah, that's that's it. Like There was no like exciting, oh, well, I saw this in the planning stage, but I didn't get it now. Now it all makes sense. There was no element of that for me in this movie. It was all paint by the numbers sort of like okay i see how they did that how they did that how they did that it, there was no really reward for paying attention I, I would only push back and to say that there was i do think there was a little bit of that i think if if we were to go maybe we can talk about it in spoilers but if, yeah. if we would go give some specific examples i do think there are some some specific examples of things that they held off and i guess hmm, maybe we can only talk about this in spoilers but every heist movie, if it's going to be good, has to have a finishing twist, uh, like a finishing ta-da. And the ta-da on this movie was very underwhelming to me. And in fact, when we talk about it in spoilers, I'll go into more details. I think almost made it a worse heist yeah. rather than a better one. And, yeah. and, and I can explain more of that when we go into spoilers. But I, I, I agree. The heist was definitely not up to par uh, in this that, that I would expect from a movie. Yeah. Totally. How'd you feel about the heist part, Chris? Uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean it, it's it just doesn't have it doesn't have the impact of of the uh, other oceans movies. And I know sometimes people are going to read into that and say, "Well, the men did it better," but that's not that's not no, the way no, 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 I no. feel about it. Uh, it's it's just the it's just the the object of this one did not seem as as. Uh, as uh, cool as the uh, as Ocean's Eleven did, and um, and and so and like I said before, there's so many things that have to go just right for this to work, and it and it really does sort of uh, wreck your suspension of disbelief a, a bit. Yeah, for sure. And and again, I think I speak for all of us when when I clarify, you know, when you say it's not as cool, we're talking about the mechanics of the heist, the performances, the characters. I thought were very cool, very yeah. interesting. I love the fashion. You know, that was a big part of the first oceans as well. You know, I love, you know, how good they looked. I love, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but the mechanics of the heist itself, just, it didn't feel as intricate or as interesting to kind of partake in. So I do think that's a fair criticism of the film. Yeah. Probably the main criticism for me, actually. Anything else you guys wanted to say? Either of you have one last thing? Uh. I don't think so. Uh, I don't want, want this to be a huge discussion, hopefully, but uh, the reasoning for an all-female cr uh, crew that was given to us in this movie is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine, I, and I wouldn't disagree, but just think of it from the other side. The reason that there are all-male crews isn't even addressed. So you know what I mean? So it's like it, the, even the fact that they had to give a reason is See, okay. That's is probably indicative. Maybe of, that's what I'm trying to say. Is yeah. If that's the reason that you're gonna give, just don't give. Just a reason. don't give a reason. Yeah. No. I, I, I would have yeah. been. I would have been fine with it just being an all female crew, for the sake of it being an all female. Yeah, crew. Why do you I'm have like, to explain it? Yeah. Yeah. The reasoning. I totally agree. The reasoning was stupid. That's <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. 
Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't and, care that it was an not, all female I mean, crew. It's stupid. It's stupid on a level that it's not just that it's stupid, but untrue as well. Yeah, maybe that's why I was like, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, there you go. That's uh, Ocean's Eight. Uh, I think it's fair to say, Chris and I would say you might have a fun time if you go watch it. Uh, maybe not so much Andrew. I'd still recommend it. It's still a little bit of a recommend, even with a didn't like it kind of. I'd recommend it solely for the comedy. Okay. So I really would. Okay, so there you go. Maybe a fun watch. Uh, I think it's a good date movie. I think it's a perfect date movie. Go yeah. have a good time with your date. Yeah. Um, should be a lot of fun for you. All right, uh, let's head into our best ever challenge for this week. Uh, since we're talking heist movies, we're going to do best ever heist movies. We'll go from uh, number three to number one, and uh, then we'll give some honorable mentions of our favorite heist movies. Don't forget, if you have a heist movie higher in your list than somebody else who mentions it, uh, you're always welcome to yell Trump. Uh, and we can, or even just say it. You don't even actually have to yell it. Uh, and we will wait uh, till it's at its highest point on the list to have the discussion about it. Um, Andrew, why don't you kick us off with your number three? I'll go ahead and say this before I do. Any of the honorable mentions I have could easily be somebody's number one. Like, There's heist a- movies are, you know, really good sometimes. Yeah. So, but I'm going to kick us off. It's probably going to get trumped. My number three is Inside Man. I've got it my mm. I've got it my honorable mentions, but I did not have it in my top three. I love Inside Man. It's really good. If I were to say, like, if we were ranking best heists in a movie, it would be my number one. It has a fun heist. It is mm-hmm. the perfect heist. It is so it, Clive Owen, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I it's been a while since I've seen it, so I was like, was it Clive Owen or was it Gerard Butler? No, yeah, it was Clive <laughs> Owen. Um but yeah, oh, he was so good. The confidence he just mm-hmm. portrayed, like I'm going to get away with this. There's no way I don't get away with this. And it has that beautiful reveal that all great heists have to have. You know, yeah. it's just a beautiful, twisty reveal. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Inside Man is really good. And another reason why that movie works so well is because while it is a heist movie, there are so many subplot elements to it that I think work perfectly, whether it be the Jodie Foster investigation or the Denzel Washington negotiations. You know, there's so many elements that are perfectly laid out and not one overlaps the other or tries to take away from the other one. And that's Spike Lee, right? Yeah. I think I, it is my favorite Spike Lee movie. It's mine too. It's, and I, I don't mean this as a, a slam. I really don't, but it's so different than everything else he's done. It feels like to me. It's Spike Lee's most, uh, it's made the most money of any Spike Lee movie. Oh, has well. it? Yeah. Yeah, it's his biggest hit. What was uh? Oh yeah, I guess it would have made more than that. Yeah, so uh, do the right thing is what I was thinking of. Like, yeah, it probably made yeah. more than do the now, right thing. Yeah, do the right thing is his best, but it didn't make anything. Didn't do anything. I could definitely see people saying do the right thing is his best movie, but I'm a heist fan. So whenever I heard Spike Lee was making a heist movie and it turned out as good as it did, it just it just jumped up to number one. Uh, my number three is the town. Yeah, that was yeah yeah. Um, I can't. It could have been. That could have been a number one. I know there's a lot of great heist movies. Yeah. Uh, I just. It's. It's one of those movies. Uh, I. Ben Affleck has such a great start to his directing career, and I think sometimes the town kind of gets missed with you know Gone Baby Gone and Argo and and those kind of things. But uh, man, it's it's great filmmaking, and the heist itself is great too. Yeah. People, yeah. People will hate me for saying this. I think the town is his best directorial oh, movie. Oh, interesting. A lot of people I don't are like, people "How can hate you? you?" But no, no. I think that people are like, "How can you say that it's better than Gone Baby Gone?" I mean, that's I, what I would say. Yeah, but. I. 
the town, man. I just love the town so much. Not to take away from Casey Affleck's per- phenomenal performance in Gone Baby Gone, but mm-hmm. maybe just the town. I think heist movies speak to me. You know, is the nostalgic, the kid inside me is like, yeah, take the money. You know, <laughs> in some ways, Gone Baby Gone is a heist movie. It's a kid. <laughs> yeah, if, it if, is. If, if you want to put kidnapping in the same realm as heist, I sure. Well, you know, it's interesting because I do feel like, well, I don't know that any of mine stretch the idea of a heist movie too far, but you could stretch it to fit some interesting movies. I have one movie that really stretches the heist. Uh, you, you love the town too, don't you, Chris? I do. Yeah. yeah. So good. All right, what do you got at number three, Chris? Uh, I, I feel like mine might be trumped, but uh, I have Heat at number three. No, it's in my honorable mentions, but... It's my number two, so we can go ahead and talk yeah, about it. Yeah, that's true, yeah, since you're up next anyway. Yeah, so go ahead. Um, I saw The first time I saw this movie uh, was when it came out, and it was a midnight show, and I was in the very front row watching it. So I had a crick in my neck after oh. it was done. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but it's one of those movies that is just, uh, the, the actual heist itself is so thrilling and exciting. Um, the, the narrative is, is, you know, it's slow, it takes its time, but, uh, it really does build to that heist and, uh, and, and, you know, basically ends in world war three on the streets of LA and everything, but then leads into the big chase by the end of it and everything. And, uh, yeah, I, I really, really love heat. I, I gotta be honest. I, I have not gone back and revisited heat and I really need to, I watched it once. Um, it was at a time in my life where, uh, movies weren't as important to me. I just had a lot of friends who were saying, you have to watch this one. It didn't grab me as much as it grabbed them. And I need to go back and revisit it uh, just so I can remember if I actually just don't like it as much as most people do, um, which isn't to say I don't like it. Because I remember liking it. I just remember thinking, why is everybody going nuts for this? Uh, Or if I've got a different set of eyeballs now and maybe I'll see it a little bit differently. Yeah, there are long scenes with uh, De Niro and Amy Brenneman and their little relationship and. There are long talking scenes where it's just very quiet and it's almost lulling you to sleep uh, in the way that it goes about it and everything. Uh, but I, I feel like it; those scenes are very important to what you see later. Yeah. And uh, and so it makes a lot of sense and it g- adds weight to the action when you see it later. Was this um, Natalie Portman's first movie? No. No? Uh, Natalie Portman was in at least the professional. Yeah, I was going to say, this. wasn't she in? I didn't in know. Leon? I didn't yeah. know if Leon was before this or not. Yeah, she. Uh, the professional came out in '94, uh, I believe, and then Heat came out in '95. Oh, okay. Um, but I believe she might have even been. In, I don't know if that was her. I think it might have been her debut as the professional. Yeah, yeah, Leon the professional. That was the debut, and then her next movie was Heat. What a back to back. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Do you have anything else you wanted to add about Heat, Andrew? Um, Pacino is his most Pacino in this movie. Yes, he is. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite scenes in cinema history is the diner scene with him and De Niro. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that's what I like about this movie so much. The actual heist itself really takes a backseat to the actual character development in this movie. So whenever the heist itself or, you know, the chase actually take place, I'm way more invested 
in these characters because I care about them so much now. No, totally makes sense. So that's your number two. Yeah. Uh, so I guess it's time for my number two. Yep. Uh, which is Ocean's Eleven for me. Ooh. Yep. Um, I love Ocean's Eleven, and I know um, I, I recently watched because uh, I didn't I didn't write on, uh, but watched the Sins video uh, that just came out, and. I watched it and I was like, yeah, those are all fine points. It's still one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> the dialogue in that Tess dinner scene alone for me, I just, it's, it just crackles. And it's just, there's so much, um, so much fun and coolness with those characters. And I just, I don't know. It's just one of my favorite things to watch. I watched it with my family a couple months ago and my boys really loved it too. So um, it's good stuff. Yep. Yeah. All right, uh, so we're to number two for Chris. So, Chris, what's your number two? Uh, number two, I have Inception. Trump. Yeah, that's yeah, that's my number one as well. So oh, we I, can talk about it. We now. can go ahead and talk about it right now. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. What are your thoughts on Inception? Um, yeah, and and I I could probably flip flop my one and two, but uh, yeah, Inception is uh, of course amazing, although. I have, of course, run into many people over the years who do not like it as much as I do. Um, <laughs> and uh, just recently uh, was surprised uh, to see that Leonard Malton didn't like uh, Inception. Um, so I was uh, that was a thing that I was sitting there like, you know, we were doing the podcast and uh, and he's like, you know, we, I hear that he didn't like Inception. I was like, oh, man, that's oh, oh. Uh, but, um, uh, it's a movie that doesn't, uh, present itself as a heist film in any way. No, uh, but it is, it's yeah. a heist of the mind. And, uh, I do, uh, you, they, you know, they pick all their, they pick their crew and the crew has specific abilities and, and, uh, they all go in and, and they, I mean, that's such a unique, uh, type of heist because they have to, they have to go through these very, very difficult rules to uh to be successful um to, you know to make it seem like it's not a dream is <laughs> is it's, it's got to be a work of art you know um so uh and to to implant ideas into somebody's mind um that's such a fascinating concept oh yeah yeah it's great it, it's it's man Christopher Nolan I'm so glad he's made movies man just his brain <laughs> Yeah, uh, he you know, I've also often talked about him being kind of the MC Escher of directors or, um, you know, uh, Bach was this way, too, with the way he composed music. People don't realize Bach's music. Some of it could be played upside down and right side up uh, or, you know, mm. forwards and backwards. And, you know, they're they're just different artists who play on a meta level that is really interesting to me. And, and Christopher Nolan, right from the get go, was always going to be doing that. And that's that's so cool. Yeah, <gasps> I just realized something. Chris is here with us today. I can actually apologize to him in person now. <laughs> because after you said that about me being wrong about the, the wedding ring, I'm like, really? So I thought about it. And you are totally right. I have been wrong for years, years. And oh, man. that blew me away. I'm like, how did I not see that? For for those, for those of you who are wondering what I'm talking about, for the longest time I've been saying that Nolan has been teasing us about the totem being the uh, the top or the spinning top. Right. And I said, no, it's actually his wedding ring, which 
technically does only appear whenever he's in his dreams, but that in itself means it can't be his totem. <laughs> because yeah. if it's only in his dreams, then it's not a real element he can, you know, fathom. Right. So it has to be the top. So, Chris, I am so sorry. Thank you for showing me the error of my ways. I, love- I will tell you this, that it, it, I just had a more visceral reaction to it than normal because <laughs> I, not because of you, but because of when we did the Sims video, which, by the way, I would redo if we did it today. Um, but when we did our sins video, which was way back, I believe in 2013, um, that there was, uh, a lot of comments, uh, in the YouTube comments where people just with absolute authority were like, uh, his totem is the wedding ring. And everybody was like, <laughs> Oh, how profound. That's amazing. <laughs> um, that was me. And, and, <laughs> and uh, and I, I, was like, wait a minute. Yeah, first off, what you said. Second off, how is that supposed to like your totem is supposed to act in a certain way that only you know um, how it how it acts and everything. And how is a wedding ring supposed to act other than being worn? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was just one of those type of things that uh, I was like, come on. Um, and so I saw that a ton. And so when uh, I was listening to that particular episode and I heard that I, I was flashed. I just sort of flashbacked. You know? <laughs> yeah, Vietnam flashback. <laughs> and it was like five, five years and where I was wa- reading comments on that video and going, no, no, there's no, you can't, can't be serious. <laughs> um, there's a, I mean, at least for the, you know, it is it is debatable as to whether the top is his totem because it was Mal's. Yeah. Um. Uh, but he believes it is. That's the pro. That's the thing. He believes it's his totem. He's ready to. He's he's got a gun to his head if the top doesn't act like it's supposed to. Yeah. Um. When he comes out of the dream and everything, and so I was. Yeah. This is one of those things. Uh. It, it had nothing to do with you at all. It was more about <laughs> no. Uh, and uh, but I but I texted Aaron and I did say I want to strangle Andrew, but it had nothing to do with you. No, no. It it's, it was hilarious because it actually. I need to thank you for that because <laughs> if you didn't, I would still be that arrogant. <laughs> totally wrong guy so well i'm glad to have played a part in bringing you together yes, and being the middleman on uh, making sure that you guys could come to an agreement but getting back to the actual inception you know heist uh-huh. movie why i have it at number one for me specifically is because the actual heist itself is so unique like yeah. we said the fact that they are stealing a man's ability to have his own ideas mm-hmm when you think about it like that, that can that is the ultimate heist. Yeah, stealing yeah. one's right to their own mind. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, it, it's it is a heist. There's there's actually a line I think in Ocean's Eight where somebody says, "How are we going to steal this?" and and she says, "Well, they're going to bring it to us." And that is the ultimate heist where you actually don't steal something; it's given to you. And that's the idea behind Inception is it's so good that they're going to think it's their own idea. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, I, I absolutely love Inception. Uh, had it at number one as well. So uh, that kind of confuses me, but I think that means we just need Chris's number Chris one, right? Chris's number one, that's so, it. So, Chris, what do you got at number one? 
it's it may be debatable that you call this a heist film, but I am calling it one. The usual suspects. No, yeah, I think that's right. I'm going to take it out of my honorable mentions. Yeah, I had it in my honorable mentions as well. Uh, go ahead and talk about it. Um, obviously, there's not much you can say about it that hasn't already been said, but uh, this is another one of those. You know, it's it's not exactly what you expect it to be, right? Um, they they uh they there's a middle section where there's a heist that I I feel like is one of the best. You know, there's a uh, it's one of the best heists you'll see, just the way that they've planned it out and everything, and right. it's a. Uh, and everything, and then and then once they start talking to Kobayashi and everything, and uh, and they are uh, sent to go on this boat. You know, the boat is this big thing, and like, there's no way, like they all know that they're going in a certain death, probably, uh, but it's not exactly how they expect it to be. Right. Um. And uh. And it's another one of those things where the heist is is almost a MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you would really want to call it a MacGuffin, but uh, it kind of is in a way because it's uh, it's a means to another thing that the movie wants to show you. And um, I, I mean, I've seen the usual suspects probably, you know, a good 30 times in my life. Yeah. A question for both of you. Was a uh, usual suspect spoiled for you before you saw it? Because I went into it fresh and blown away by it whenever I first saw it. Um, it, I, it was not spoiled for me, but there was enough of, there were enough people watching with me that knew what was coming that they kind of, they kind of had a look on their face. You know what I mean? Like you can kind yeah. of tell something's happening and it's like, so it was kind of, were they all looking at you waiting to see your reaction? Yeah. yeah. You're like, okay. Something's about to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I was kind of more aware of it, uh, even though it wasn't spoiled for me. It was not spoiled for me. Um, I'm not even sure I was aware that there was a twist in this movie when I watched oh, it. That's yeah. how I was with um, um, with Fight Club. I didn't even know there was a oh, twist. Oh, yeah? yeah? Yeah, I think I was the same way about Fight Club. Uh, but, uh, yeah, The Usual Suspects, I, I went in expecting it just to be a fun heist movie. Um, and maybe there was some idea of who is Kaiser Sose, but I didn't really think it was going to be something like I got chills when they did, when Chas Palminteri is going through his whole thing uh, and saying like, he, you know, D, you know, Keaton is Kaiser Sose and all that. I was like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's, that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, something I didn't think about really, or maybe you thought about it, but you know, it's still kind of a chilling thing. And I thought that was going to be the ending. Yeah, and uh, and then then it goes on, and you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is a completely different movie on a different level. <laughs> yeah, because whenever Chaz is doing that whole thing, he's so confident, and he, yeah. the way he's yelling at Kevin Spacey, you're thinking, man, because the way I I looked at it initially is that whenever Chaz is doing that whole thing, he, uh, what was it? Uh, how how can I put this? Because to this point, Usual Suspect is one of those movies. It doesn't matter how old it is, you never want to give it away. Right, so yeah. whenever Chaz is doing that and he's so confident, the way Kevin Spacey's reacting is like, this. there's no way this is not the ending. Yeah. And then it progresses beyond that, and you're like, that is why this is considered one of the greatest movies ever. Yep. Because they, oh, yeah. they just pushed it even more. Only thing better than a twist is a double twist. Yep. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, there you go. Uh, let's do some honorable mentions. Uh, Chris, how many honorable mentions did you have kind of listed out? Okay, for- so you guys had said a few. Um, Inside Man, The Town, and Ocean's Eleven I have all on the honorable mentions. Yep. Uh, I also have the 2001 movie called Heist, uh, the David Mamet heist. Oh, I don't know if I've seen that. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It is pretty um, good. The IMDb has it at 6.5, which I think is kind of low, but you know, I guess it's understandable. But you talk about a twisty heist movie. That's one. All um, right. And a lot of great performers in there. You got Gene Hackman and Ricky Jay and just a million people who are good. I'm going to have to check that um, out. And De Niro. Uh, I, I found it hard to find on Blu-ray, and I don't know if they have it on Blu-ray, but the, I think you can get a DVD of it. Okay. Wasn't uh, Not De Niro. I mean DeVito. Danny DeVito. Yeah, Danny DeVito and Robert De Niro are definitely different people, Andrew. Yeah, that is, that is <laughs> I just I just started imagining uh, Robert De Niro and it's always sunny, and I'm like, I need to see that right now. Twins. Yeah, yeah. You have uh, yeah, it's, it's DeVito and Delroy Lindo and Sam Rockwell's in it. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, David Mamet's wife Rebecca Pigeon, who of course is in almost everything that he does, yeah, um, is in it as well. Very cool. And then I have Out of Sight. Yeah, good um, choice. Uh, more Soderbergh for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have uh, The Killing, the Stanley Kubrick movie. Oh, I, I never saw it. The Killing. Yeah, uh, interesting. Very good movie. In fact, I considered it for my top three there for a while, but then those three that I have there are just so so near and dear that I couldn't quite crack it. Good choice. Um so uh, I had the killing in there, and I saw another movie when, not to not to make this a movie podcast for a fifth <laughs> or anything, but uh, well, if you want to get us uh, a sponsorship, we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> maybe so. Who knows? But uh, I saw a movie called Bob the Gambler on that. It's a French film, also a very good heist movie, very tense. One of those type of tense heist movies where you, you the viewer, do not want to make noise mm. during Ooh. the scene. And it's one of those very, very awesome type of movie. So those are those are my honorable mentions. Uh, I'll go ahead and do mine. Um, I mentioned Point Break uh, as one of my honorable mentions. <laughs> how did I forget? How did I forget Point Break? I feel like an idiot. The remake, right? Yes, yeah, the newer yeah, one. Yeah. yeah, of course. Uh, the Italian Job, I think, is a, oh, yeah, a good movie. Yeah. Um, Bottle Rocket, I think, deserves a mention. Yeah, oh, it really does. Bottle Rocket's great. Yeah. Yeah. So that deserves a mention. I am a fan of Fast Five, uh, which is definitely a heist movie. Yeah, so- I'm not. <laughs> the- Out of all the Fast and the Furious, for me, besides the first one, it is the best. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the only- go along with you on that. Yeah, it's the only Fast and Furious movie uh, I would say I enjoy even more than just a uh, winking and nodding level. I actually enjoy it as a movie when I watch it. Um, the rest is more of just kind of. This is ridiculous. I can't believe I'm watching this. Kind now, of enjoy it. Now, but. is Fast Five the one where they're dragging the heist by, or the, yes. the safe behind yes. two Mustangs? Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I uh, have to mention Logan Lucky. I really enjoyed Logan Lucky. Yep, take that off Still my list. Still need to see that. Oh, oh, you'll love it. You'll love it. Yeah, I think you will. Yeah. It's it's really fun. Um, and then A Fish Called Wanda, I thought was. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take that off my list. That almost made my top three. Because Kevin Klein in that movie is oh, so, so good. good. Yeah. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. What else do you have, Andrew? Um, I got a bunch actually. So Den of Thieves came out this year. 
I really liked Den of Thieves. It was better than I expected. That's for sure. I really liked it. I've heard this actually. This is one of those sleepers of the year type movies. Now, don't go into it with huge expectations. But if you go in with low expectations, I think you might enjoy it. This is honestly as close as you can get to a mimicking of Heat. (laughs) Like it's pretty. Mm. It's pretty much Heat, just modernized. But it's really good. The performances in it are really spectacular. I, it sounds like you liked it even a little bit more than I did. I just remember being surprised that I enjoyed Where it at I all. I have it? I think I have it at like five or six oh, from, wow. of the for year, year. For, wow. for my year so far. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Baby Driver is a heist movie. Well, I guess you're right. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> this guy stole a holiday. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> he stole uh, a holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's a bit of a stretch, but I'll give it to he you. He stole the holiday. No, I'll give it to you. Um, uh, both Lock, Stock, and Snatch. Yeah, are heist movies. Oh yeah, good call. Yeah, Pink Panther, gotta love. Yeah, fair enough. And which, which one? Yeah, the Steve Martin one. No, or? no, I'm going all the way back. I'm okay. going all the way back. Peter K- Sellers. Yeah, K Tip. So I don't know. Would you guys consider Reservoir Dogs a heist movie because it takes place after the heist? Uh, I would. Yeah, I think you can. I think it works. Okay. I think it goes in the genre. Um, Drive. I love Drive. Okay. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, honestly, Chris, I'm surprised this was not in your top three. Hell or High Water. I probably forgot it. Hell or High Water. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good choice. I yeah. don't know if it would have cracked my top three, but really? I, I should have mentioned it for sure. Yeah, I should have mentioned that too. I didn't even think about that one. Yeah, that's that's my honorable mentions. Man, all I think of most those of these come down to just forgot to just forgot those movies as heist <laughs> yeah. movies. Exactly. But yeah, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, man. He stole holiday. <laughs> Which How the Grinch Stole Christmas are you doing? I'm going uh, to the cartoon version. Nothing to take away from the uh, so the short film, the Jim Carrey. Yeah, the old cartoon short, as opposed to the Jim Carrey Ron Howard. Yeah, combination with and isn't, Anthony, isn't Anthony the, Hopkins. Isn't there a Benedict Cumberbatch one coming out? Yeah, is that <laughs> that's a thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, Chris and I are on the same same level on that one. Yeah, it's a thing. I didn't even know. I didn't even know that was happening. Yeah, it comes out this Christmas. Oh, fun or not fun, depending. Uh, there you go. There's the best ever heist movies. Um, before we head on to our Sift Quest, just a reminder. Uh, that this podcast is on a podcast network that is fan-funded at Patreon, patreon.com slash DNA. If you want to check it out, uh, three bucks a month is where it starts, and you can check out your own podcast feed that you will get to whatever podcast player you like to use, whether it's Pocket Cast or what are some of the other ones that people use. Um, what's the other main one? There's another main podcast player. That- did you say Spreaker? <laughs> I did say Spreaker, okay. but... Anyways, wherever you do podcasts, well, iTunes, you can, Spreaker, you can have this inserted right for you, and it also includes bonus episodes uh, for the for the shows. For instance, we talked about uh, "Won't You Be My Neighbor" and uh, "Hereditary" in the pre-show for this episode. So, anyways, you can check all that out at Patreon.com/slash Studio DNA. And thank you so much for considering supporting podcasts that you love. All right, this SIF quest comes to us from Cody via email. He emailed this in. Uh, first said he wanted to thank SIF Pop for all the excellent content and also wanted to say that he's very happy that we're both doing well with our health. Oh, So we appreciate, we appreciate that, Cody. Thank you very much. Uh, here's the SIF quest. You find a time machine and decide to go back in time. Now you work as a trusted assistant 
to George Lucas. I'm glad this is what I used the time machine for. He shows you full <laughs> scripts for all three prequel movies, and he asks you to give one suggestion. You make the movies better. What is your suggestion and why? Uh, and then Cody goes on to give the example of improving the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin, which I think is a great suggestion. Um, and that, in turn, would improve their interactions in overall dialogue. Thanks from Canada, Cody. Well, Cody, thanks for the question. Yeah. What do you think, guys? What's the one thing you would tell George Lucas as his trusted assistant? Uh, why don't we start with you, Chris? Uh, okay. Um, so I feel like the entire prequel trilogy, uh, Lucas is just trying so hard to build up to the trilogy we already know. Yeah. And and it's and what we lose in the translation is I don't I don't think there's any reason to care because there's uh, the main the main over over I guess overarching plot is the emperor's making moves, you know, chess moves while, you know, and nobody can nobody is able to detect it just to, right off the bat, like Yoda is clueless and. Um, yeah, everybody in, everybody in the Jedi council is clueless as to who's behind all these things that are happening. Uh, it's just not an exciting thing. It's like, it's, it's trade and tariffs and crap like that. That's, that's what the main issue is (laughs) with star Wars. So I would definitely cut all of that. And I would say that it would be better just to have that maybe in the background and, the the and the the person who writes this email um i think has got is on to something because the one of the worst things about watching the prequels is watching especially in attack of the clones watching the now grown up anakin and obi-wan on an elevator discuss the adventure that they just had yeah and instead of us getting to see that adventure and seeing them build this relationship to where it will be so devastating in episode three when he turns, um, it, it, it never comes off that way. Like these guys were friends. They're not nearly as good of friends as, you know, as old Obi-Wan says in episode four. Um, so I would have, I would, my one note would have been to make more movies that seem like they st- stood alone rather than building up to, episode four through six which is what these are doing um and just have have more adventures with them and then they uncover things during these adventures that they didn't even know were going on and um and it becomes more of a like who's behind this and and then they can go and talk to the emperor and all that so that's that's sort of i think that's the right way to go yeah i think that's a good suggestion uh andrew what about you um, my suggestion is, <laughs> my suggestion for this literally changes, my one suggestion changes the entire prequels. <laughs> so, um, do not quote unquote kill Darth Maul in Phantom Menace. Let, yeah. let Anakin see Maul kill Qui-Gon and let that be the fuel for him and the driving force behind all the movies for him on this quest of vengeance and let that hatred and rage lead him to the dark side also uh don't let uh amidala turn into a creepy pedophile who falls in love with a 10 year old (laughs) yeah but Uh, mainly them all mainly them all um uh the chat has already obviously mentioned jar jar binks 
Uh, so, you know, just stop Jar Jar. That's yeah. all they want. You know what? Jar Jar might have been acceptable if it wasn't for the fact that all the other stuff around it was so terrible. Yeah. Like, Make- you might have been able to tolerate an annoying character like that. I mean, we tolerated C-3PO. I was right? just about to say that. Yeah. And I think you would also have to tweak the racial implications of Jar Jar. I think that was a big part of it, too, was it there was yeah. there was a, a racist undertone to it that a lot of people... Uh, talk about so yeah my actually Andrew you touched on my suggestion to my good friend George who you know I'm who trusts me very much to help what, him with these movies the Queen Amidala thing uh, no with the idea of Anakin's motivation I I would tell him be sure you understand Anakin's motivation in all three movies because what you are doing is you are trying to tell a story about how this kid from Tatooine became Darth Vader right like when you saw the first poster for episode one, and it was Darth Vader's shadow on That's this little kid. Still one of the best posters. Like, I get chill bumps just thinking about the first time I saw that poster, and like, oh yeah. my goodness, we're going to see movies about how Darth Vader became Darth Vader. The problem is in the prequels, for me, is that things happen to Anakin, not because of Anakin. Um, and that That's an overgeneralization, but when you think of other characters are almost imprinting on him rather than early on giving him a motivation. What does he want? What does he need? Why is he making the choices that he's making? The only way the movies play with that, I shouldn't say only, but the primary way they play with that is romance, right? With giving him, you know, uh, a love interest that he's not supposed to have or whatever. But that first movie, especially, I feel like child Anakin needs something more than just oh cool spaceships oh cool i'm a pilot like we need to know even as a child you know what what is the driving force here's a question for you do you think that three movies is enough to tell the whole story oh sure plenty you think so oh yeah okay three movies yeah i think you could probably do it in one i think you know you just it just depends on how efficient you want to be right but we need that pod racing bro (laughs) fair enough I wouldn't want to get rid of the pod racing. I thought that was fun. That was fun. Um, but yeah, I think for me, I wanted to know, I wanted to identify more with An- Anakin's journey. And I just felt like, uh, you know, I was just kind of watching uh, just a, a world that was so interested in in references and winks that it didn't understand that I wanted a story about a character, you know, and how they progressed. Yeah. So This, of course, is a fool's errand, oh, right? Oh, of course, I yeah. Mean, you know, it is fun to think about, um, and I think everybody has an opinion on what they would have done uh, with the prequels and everything. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's hard to be right. It's hard to be wrong. Um, but, yeah, I, it's just, you know, all you know is what you saw wasn't what you wanted. That's pretty <laughs> much what, what it came down to. It is a fool's errand, and we are just the fools to do it. So, uh, that's, Indeed. That's, that's why we do. All right, let's finish up with some buried treasure, guys. I'll kick us off this time with that one thing in any area of pop culture, any area of pop culture, that you want to make sure people know about. I want to revisit Legion. Uh, I'm finally caught up on the TV oh, show Legion. I thought you meant that uh, one horrible movie that came out. No, Paul I'm... Bettany? Yeah, Paul Bettany's horrible Legion movie. No, I'm talking about uh, the Fox's, or FX, I should say. I think it's on FX. Yeah. Uh, you know, their foray into the X-Men universe. Um, and I am in love with so much about this show. 
The performances, I think, are absolutely incredible uh, throughout the show. The visuals in this show are the best I've ever seen on television. And what I yeah. mean by mm, that... They are. What I mean by that is not not in the same way that like landscapes and those kind of things are beautiful visuals. I mean in the construction and the creativity behind the way they are shooting this show. I have never seen anything like it. And you can tell they just give their directors and their DPs and their their visual effects artists, they just say... Carte blanche. Carte blanche. Do something weird. Do something cool. Um, they're just... It is it is a frameable TV show. Is so, season hmm. two done? Done? Or? I, season two has one more episode, I think. Okay. I was going to binge the whole thing, so I'm, I'm okay. waiting. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to give any plot stuff. No. Other, oh, yeah. other than to say I don't know that I could if I wanted to. <laughs> This you, show, I guarantee is, you, you try in three. I will give you three minutes. Try and describe no, Legion. I'm not even going to do it. Yeah, this show is so out there. And here's the thing: I have I have ripped apart Twin Peaks for this. Um, you know, I've ripped apart certain movies for this that seem incomprehensible to me. This this show though is incomprehensible, and I feel like a way that still has story momentum, and it's it's such a hard trick to play, you know, to to pull off. But as much as I don't understand a lot of things as they're happening, I do understand where these characters are going and what these overall, you know, kind of the overall uh, momentum of the season is leading to. So, and there are you know standalone episodes of Legion that are um you know bottle episodes yeah. that I think are genius. Uh there was one this season that that is just I, I can't say anything about it because I don't want to give anything away because I know you haven't seen it, but it's just so smart and so interesting. And then and then you've got these interstitials where John Hamm comes on and narrates to, you know, like a white wall reenactment of like human psychology and things that about what makes us human. The last you know episode had this whole thing about Plato's cave and how that relates to technology, and it's just so smart. And it, it is a show that is blowing me away every time I watch an episode. And then you totally forget that it's actually an X Men show, right? Yeah. It's about mutants. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely uh, an interesting one. What did we say? Did we say Legion was the best show last year? Do we say that Big Little Lies was? Uh, I don't. I don't remember. I'd have to go look. But yeah. But yeah. No, it's I know both of them were like at the top. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, uh, especially if you love X-Men and if you love cool, interesting, weird stuff, check it out. If you yeah. don't have much patience for confusion, then then I maybe stay away. But, it's, um, n- it's not a show in the background. Oh, no. you, you got to pay no, attention you to every pay attention. second. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. How's that show doing, by the way, ratings-wise? I don't think it's doing well, but I don't know that FX necessarily cares. It's the kind of show that has... A fervent fan base and gets a lot of long tail viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think FX is okay with it continuing to build a library, and then they just have it in their streaming library whenever people want to catch up on it. I think they understand there's a new dynamic to television where you don't have to have a current audience to have a good thing, good piece of content to have in your library. Yeah. So so yeah. Crazy good show. Uh, what do you got, Chris? What's your buried treasure? Um, I'm going to go with a movie that I watched, uh, this past week called film worker. Um, it is about Leon Vitale, who was basically Stanley Kubrick's like most trusted assistant. Um, and, uh, it is really kind of amazing 
uh, it is a story of human endurance, um, pretty much, um, because it is this guy, Leon Vitale was actually in the movie, Barry Lyndon. He played a character in Barry Lyndon. And after he, he was in Barry Lyndon, he had a taste for wanting to be behind the camera more. So he first became an assistant with Stanley Kubrick on the shining. And, uh, the first thing Kubrick wanted him to do was to find was him to go to America and find his Danny Lloyd. Um, and so this guy, uh, really like, you know, if you know anything about Kubrick and his perfectionism and everything, um, the, you know, this guy went through a lot to be Kubrick's assistant, basically for the love of the game, essentially. Um, and so, uh, to see him talk about and, you know, talk about all the things that he had to do, not just during, I mean, you know, all the stuff that you have to do on a film shoot plus just a million other things. It was a documentary that came out last year. Huh? What was it? What was it called again? It's called film worker. And, uh, the reason why it's called that is because that's apparently what, he would put down on his passport or something like that. I think that's what it was um, because he didn't know exactly what to call himself. He didn't know if he <laughs> right. call him a, call a production assistant or a casting director or any of these type of things. But um, uh, you get some, some, some pretty awesome insight into because, you know, remember Kubrick after Barry Lyndon only made three movies Um you get some pretty good insight into uh, some of the uh, behind the scenes of those next three movies and especially full metal jacket. You get a, you get a really awesome story about how Arlie Ermey became the drill sergeant in that movie. And I don't really want to spoil that, but, um, but uh, the, that story and all, and, and they had another actor who was supposed to be the drill sergeant, and it, it, they went through all this, you know, stuff to get Arlie Ermey to be the drill sergeant in that movie. But uh, you get some nice little insight into not only Kubrick's mind, but I, you know, Leon Vitale is a is just a is a person is a rare human being on this earth to be able to uh, go through all of that. Basically, what you could you could say is abuse almost, uh, but in you know. Uh, ends up having, you know, having a loving relationship with his partner there. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, it's well worth watching. Wow. Sounds fascinating. Um, before yeah. Andrew, before you do your buried treasure, uh, Chris, are you still watching billions? Yes. Um, not all the way up to date. I think I've got one episode off right now. Yeah. I think the finale is coming up this week. I, that's another one. I, I think more people need to watch. It's just so much fun. Anyways, I, I knew well, you- and I think, I think I even mentioned that as a buried treasure yeah, on so. one of these, yeah, I think uh, so. one of these uh, things, and uh, and uh, and it's gotten better since then. Yeah. What do you got, Andrew? So I also have a documentary um, in honor of Cinema Sins. You guys are from Tennessee, right? Indeed. So it's a documentary based out of Memphis. I will finally say on air, this is my number one documentary. It always went back and forth between number one and number two. I'm ready to put the stamp on it. It's number one. It's called Undefeated. Came out mm. in 2011. 
It chronicle. I'll, I'll just read the IMDb synopsis here. Chronicles three underprivileged students from inner city Memphis and their volunteer football coach who tries to help them beat the odds on and off the field. It almost sounds like a Disney sports movie, but like the real thing. It is beyond heartbreaking and terrifying. I think the opening line is, you know, the coach sitting down with the players. He says, all right, our wide receiver, such and such, shot. He's out for the season. Our defensive lineman, shot, out for the season. Wow. And he just goes through all this stuff, and he's like, um, that right there is a plate that regular coaches have to deal with in an entire career, and it's Wednesday for me. Right. And it just goes over all this stuff. It is a heartbreaking documentary. There's a part in it where, because you know he really wants these kids to better themselves, not only as football players, but as men, you know. He's like, you are better than the situation you are in right now. I know it's in you, and just how sometimes, like, the most minor, you know, mess up that these kids do, you know, like they get into a fight and it ruins their entire you know, high school, you know, career, you know, stuff like that. And you're like, no, you were so close. But then you realize, you know, people get in fights and it shouldn't mess up who they have the chance of becoming, you know. Sure. And it's a heartbreaking documentary, but I love it so, so very much. Very cool. Where would you, uh, how would it stack up to Won't You Be My Neighbor? Uh, like I said, this is my number one documentary of all yeah. time. Um it it went back and forth between that and Blackfish. I don't know if you ever saw that one. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. Um I I, I think I can honestly say the Orca say one, right? The, yeah, yeah, it's the Tilikum mm-hmm. story at uh SeaWorld in Orlando. Is that where it's at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but yeah, I'm I can put the stamp on it. Number one documentary, Undefeated. It's on Netflix if you want to check it cool. out. Oh, awesome. I uh I remember when this came out and I was one of those where you know, gotta make a note to see that and I still haven't. So Yeah. Oh, it won uh, the Oscar for Best Documentary. I didn't know that. Oh, very cool. So there we go. We did yeah. it, guys. We did a podcast. Woo! Yeah. We casted the pods, and the pods returned all casted. Yeah, like a boomerang. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. For Sif Pop, it is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other live and later shows on the network by following us on Spreaker either in the Spreaker app or at Spreaker.com slash Studio DNA. Huge thanks again to today's guru, Chris from CinemaSins. Woo! Thanks for having me, guys. Where can people find you online, Chris? Uh, we have a, a YouTube channel called CinemaSins, which is snarky about movies and you it will enrage you enrage some of you. <laughs> um, some of you will laugh and understand where we're coming from. We have a podcast that is not as enra- as enraging, but can be at times. Um, uh, go to the go to the Sincast uh, presented by Cinema Sins for our podcast. We appreciate you being here, man, very much. Uh, always love it when you're on. I love your the wit of your film knowledge is always impressive to me, and your recall. That's that's something I wish I had a little more of was recall. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's 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 one of my favorite things about you is you just you can pull all this stuff from all these different movies <laughs> i want to give a thank cinema- you i have I, ha- I have too much knowledge sometimes <laughs> and then other times just don't have enough i want to give a cinemason shout out real quick sure. because uh was it last week or the week before we did our ranking of the marvel cinematic universe oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and you guys just put out your individual lists and it was very interesting to see how 
you know, you were so close on some, and then just like Aaron and I, you were so divisive on other ones. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun listening to that episode. Yeah, it was fun after having just done ours to realize you guys were putting out your list as well and to be able to hear those kind of back-to-back, so good times. Yeah. Um, I, one thing, I, we were far apart on some quote-unquote, but there wasn't... Uh, one thing that I was glad about was it wasn't like... You know, somebody put Thor Dark World at number eight or something like <laughs> I that. I think we all put it at the worst. Yeah, I don't think there's any argument on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And which is so funny because I remember when Thor of the Dark World came out, there were so many people who were like, oh my gosh, this is such an improvement over the original and all that. And and Jeremy and I did not watch it until Sin's video time. And and we when we were sending that, I, I remember, I think I told him, I was like, man, I'm only like 30 minutes through and I've already written like 75 things. What's going on? <laughs> nice. Uh, much, much love and gratitude to our Patreon supporters as well for giving monthly to make this show and others on the network possible. Support starts at three bucks a month. Comes with some really fun perks. You can find out more at patreon.com slash studio DNA. Lots of ways to connect with us at the podcast. You can comment on Spreaker or hit us up by email at feedback at sifpop.com. If you want to contact us via Twitter, I'm at Aaron Dicer, and he is at Flick Freaks. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like it too, so let them know about it, and that listening is much easier than understanding what the big fuss is about the Met Gala. We'll be back with uh, some spoilers on the Ocean's 8 here in just a second. Should be up in your feed next, and then we'll be back next week to talk Incredibles 2. Dun, dun, dun. And tag. <laughs> and tag, according to Andrew. <laughs> wow. You heard that? The mic caught that. Oh, I can see it right there. You can see your neck popping in the wave file. That was my shoulder. Whatever it was. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> no, it's it's actually an old injury from whenever I worked at the hospital. Are you sure it's not a new injury? Are you sure you didn't just injure yourself just now? No, what happened was whenever I worked at the hospital, uh, one of my uh, job descriptions was to help get new re- newly released patients out to their vehicle so they uh-huh. could go home. So. There was this elderly woman. She was a little bit on the heavy side, and uh, she went to get up out of the wheelchair, and she was walking towards the car. She tripped. I went to grab her, and as I you know, tried to hold her, my shoulder popped out. And uh, ever since then, it's never realigned properly, and if I don't kind of push it back in, it'll just hang there. That so. was so loud. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.